Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the after party. Um, Julianne Brandon, I just wanted to start this with a little just like moment of transparency for you guys, which is this morning as we were walking to work, Eric stopped in the middle of the rainy New York City sidewalk and said, oh, I know what the next three arcs are, and then proceeded to <laughs> giggle to himself and go, oh, shit, uh, uh, to himself as we walked to work. And I asked no questions. I have no details. But that happened. I'm scared. Yep. I don't like it when you discover your evil machinations literally while you're walking in the rain, which sounds terrible. So Mm-mm. Seems bad. Happy uh, last day of 2020, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited um, and terrified. Yeah, it's this is um, for a long time I've been following the Griffin McElroy advice, which is like figure out your very large arc and your small arcs will come together just as you figure that stuff out. I've had a lot of ideas bouncing around, but for the first time I've saw clarity because this this arc, what we're currently working on joining the channel, I think is really kicking some shit off as we'll, mm. we will talk about. Um, and we've recorded nearly all of the episodes of join the channel. So we also I feel really clear and resolute about that as well. But I'm like, oh, now I can do this. Then this will happen. And then this will happen in terms of what I can control as the DM. So like, I'm very excited. I can see a, a real path for what's happening here. And again, this is like these are the bones, but you guys fill in the meat and the organs. But everything's it's fine. Like everything's fine around that. And uh, I'm really happy with that. You can't say the word bones without me thinking of this YouTuber now. Oh, Bones. thank you for the segue, Brandon, because that is the first topic we're going to tackle in today's After Party. Um, <laughs> I can't help but just think of all of the YouTubers and streamers that we have been watching throughout lockdown. Um, but how did you fellow players feel about this uh, this little tangle here? This guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like it's a it's a trademark Eric Silver joint to bring in a, a shitty YouTuber into the fray. <laughs> <laughs> and you always do it so well. I, it's it's always it always gives me a good belly chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> he feels like BuzzFeed Unsolved meets Ghost Hunters, but yes. like in the worst way possible. Mm, yes. Uh, I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you specifically what the inspiration is. Well, that Please. was uh, Yost's question, whose name I think I pronounced wrong last time. So thank you for telling me, Yost, how to say your name, um, which is, where did the inspiration for Bones, Body, and Jack Lantern come from? Loved them. Yes. So you're totally right. This was half BuzzFeed Unsolved, mm -hmm. which is very, it's like hipster ghost hunters like two guys who <laughs> two guys definitely live in brooklyn go into scary houses and that's where the hey ghost what's up it's chaboy that gift yes. comes from very much like putting yourself in the middle of a strange situation and that's like kind of their weirdness youtubers i didn't want it just to be confined to ghosts and obviously we're, we're dealing with powers and stuff so weirdness youtubers but the other side uh it's half buzzfeed unsolved and half epic mealtime do you yes what? i remember you, you mentioning remember? that during yes. the recording yes do you all remember when we were like all in high school watching epic mealtime yes 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 mm -hmm. For those of you who don't remember, it was just this very giant Canadian man named Harley who would make the most ridiculous food ever. He was like he was like six feet tall, massive beard, and it was like we're gonna make a lasagna out of out of McDonald's cheeseburgers. That's then, exactly the one that I was thinking of. Yeah, is what I was gonna use as an example. <laughs> he was one of the first viral YouTubers, like one of the the first like famous from YouTube YouTubers, um, which I just think is very interesting from a, a digital media history perspective. Mm -hmm. It's funny though because again, this is something that I love to talk about just in terms of genre. 
when you look at the first of a genre or of a archetype, you're like, oh, this isn't that interesting. This is like, I've seen this so much times before, but they were the first ones to do it. This is like when you watch like really old heist movies or crime movies. And it's like, oh, I've seen this before. What are you talking about? Like, no, this was the first one. They invented this genre. So like they were bro-y YouTube, but also they were like food YouTube in a way that there wasn't for the first time. I think all like extreme desserts on Instagram owe their success to Epic Mealtime because before Instagram, you know, was a thing that was the only place that you could see you know like a cake made of chicken nuggets or something like that (laughs) yeah also mukbangs come from there as well what is that a mukbang is like a it's a i don't remember what country it originated from it's either korea or japan but it's a type of youtube now where you like eat tons of food and it's like Uh, a lot of doing it yeah so um i yes the, the the epic food Genre has also come from like meal time. The reason why I was so interested in it because there was a cast of characters as well. There was Harley and like all of his friends, but one guy, his name was Muscles Glasses, and he was just <laughs> jacked and had aviators on. And I looked into it, and it was really funny. This guy got fired after a little while because he didn't like it, but Harley owned the character of Muscles Glasses. Oh, no. <laughs> so I love he the, owned I- the IP. Yeah, he owned the IP. So I love the idea of the, this derivative, and like he fits with the whole spookiness thing, but he's like doesn't speak just like Muscles Glasses does. And it feels like a shell that this YouTuber has put on his jacked friend. Muscles Glasses is the funniest thing I've ever it's heard. So in my it's so funny. It's so funny. It's incredible. That's like in wrestling when uh, the WWE fires someone and they have to change their name and entire persona because WWE technically owns that quote unquote character. Yeah. The Overtaker. Or recasting a TV character in like season four and no one mentions it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, speaking of wrestling, one I'd wonder would like to know if Bones had a YouTube beef with someone, who would it be and why? They've all gotten into it with Jake Paul, right? Like, that's just a given, right? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like there's probably some high-low stuff happening uh, with, like... CDP Grey or like one of those like really like really uh educational like he's probably scrapped with Hank Green at some point being like <laughs> Hank you're so old get the fuck off of TikTok and Hank is like actually that's uh, that's not how time works and I think it's a lot like that he 100% has Twitter beef with Zach Baggins yeah oh yeah 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. that oh, is yeah. not even a question oh yeah and probably the Long Island Medium or maybe he really loves Long Island Medium and they do like a crossover <laughs> yes I think it's that yeah. I like it uh, Teresa's like, no, you have to eat lasagna and then we'll go talk to the ghosts. <laughs> you can't talk to ghosts on an empty stomach. Julia and I got perhaps the best email of our careers uh, several weeks <gasps> ago. Uh, somebody, actually, I didn't understand what the email was. I just kind of wrote it off to being spam. But then Julia parsed its meaning correctly, which is somebody emailed spirits trying to book the Long Island Medium on her podcast. (laughs) It is because the Long Island Medium has a podcast called Hey Spirits. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's the funniest thing. That's the nugget. And like the, the problem was with the email was that they never listed the woman's full name. So they were just like, we really love Teresa's work. And we know that Teresa has that new book out. And I'm like, Google search, I'm like, Teresa, and then the name of the book, and I'm like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> and then Julia pretended to be the Long Island Medium, and it was a whole high situation. That's what we were saying, is we could just respond and be the Long Island Media, because we make media, and we're two mediums. You know? 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we could mm -hmm. do that probably that's that's an option for us or if if uh teresa makes a media company it's long island medium media that would be very and good. then if you get Ooh, shirts boy. and you have to order them and you have a specific size then you need medium long island long island medium media <laughs> Boo. Uh, let's let's back out of this cul-de-sac that was extremely good thank you um, <laughs> <laughs> calling it a cul-de-sac is such a goddamn bird. Thank Oof. you. Um, let's move on to our many, many uh, Dr. Morrow-related questions. Anybody feel a type of way about Dr. Morrow in these last couple episodes? I think Milo does. I, yeah. Milo certainly <laughs> Sorry, does. Sorry, Milo. Sorry I had to, like, out your dad like that. <laughs> oh, uh, what happened? Anything? Wh what particularly happened between uh, Dr. Dr. Morrow? Dr. Morrow and Hank, they fucked. <laughs> <laughs> that Shit's Creek meme was outstanding. At least once, probably greater than one. <laughs> you know what's really funny about the image of the locket, how you described it to me, Eric? I almost picture it like they're dancing, but it's like a 1940s, like World War II. Like USO style. dance. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Not like in the 80s when it probably took place. Oh, 100%. I feel like I did that as well. I had this mm. image of like when you saw photos of like the Manhattan Project and it's just like the scientists hanging out. It's like, look at these people who created the atom bomb, but they're like drinking gimlets. Yeah, or like the Brooklyn <laughs> Navy Yard had, you know, like entertainment division. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like putting in the in the locket, she had to cut it out and put it in there. Like it was a photo and then she had to transpose it into the locket. It wasn't like too oval. So yeah, 500%. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, in my head, it was sepia tone. And I'm like, there's no reason why. Yeah. She just feels older. That is how you originally described it in the episode. You were like, uh, weirdly, they're dancing. And then you realize it was a photograph. So there's no way to know they're dancing. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were like mid-tango or something. Or like she she had just been spun out in a, yeah, in yeah. a dance. And that's the photo they had that it got taken. <laughs> Satchadesh on Instagram would like to know, what was the incident that sparked the party's distrust for Dr. Morrow? And answering for myself first, maybe, I would say that like Aggie doesn't distrust her specifically it's more like you have to put a lot of trust in somebody in order to do the kind of work that we are doing and and i think everybody just kind of inherently questions a good deal and so i think that's just aggie's like normal sense of like new yorker self-preservation that's going on but i would say that she's she's chosen to trust dr morrow and the rest is just you know trying to be you know always looking out for herself and her friends just as a person in the world yeah i think for val Given their background, it's not distrust, rather it is frustration with Dr. Morrow because they know Dr. Morrow knows things that they're not telling the party. And that comes with the territory of being a mob kid. But uh, <laughs> I don't think that Val distrusts Dr. Morrow because of it. I think Val just wants more information and is willing to be like, all right, you need to tell us more things now. Why bear chasing you? Why are you cool with bear chasing you? <laughs> yeah, I feel like Val sees everything by necessity as a kind of differential of power and information is power in that way. Like everything is transactional. Everybody could owe somebody something if you do something for them. So like, let's put cards on the table you know why hold something from me if you're not trying to hold power over me i owe this bear ten thousand dollars 
Makes sense. Uh, I was actually very surprised that you started asking me those questions. I was not prepared for it. I thought Dr. Morrow was just going to like call a meeting so we could figure out the thing that we ended up talking about, which is the, the media thing, getting your brand out there, making sure that you're challenging like what's happening if there's an anti-weirdness YouTuber being there. And I think Dr. Morrow, in a way that we don't question our heroes in like action movies she's just like yeah i my life is scary and sometimes bears follow me like i don't know it just this is my life it just it is what it is it's i don't question it i've been a dangerous person for a long time this is the same thing if you were talking to like a spy it's like hey why was that person shooting at you and they'd be like you know, the regular reasons, espionage, like, I don't know. I'm just going to preserve myself and you don't have to worry about it because you're not Dr. Morrow. So I thought that, that was interesting that you were you were asking. And she was just like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to. It's I, I can show you documents. It's just the life I live. I don't know. I loved hearing that on tape when Amanda started asking those questions and you were like, <laughs> and then you improv an entire hour episode. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> All right. But listen, I'm, I'm very aware of the character. And she she had the same. That wasn't me. That was Dr. Morrow. She doesn't have a thing to say about that. Like, she doesn't know. Also, when you're the most powerful person you've ever known for decades, you know, who asks you questions? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. For, for Milo, it's like, it's, it's funny because I think it, this is one of those, like, uh, few instances for instances for me where like i disagree with the character like i'm i'm totally with you eric like i think dr maro's just like a weird doc brown type yeah <laughs> and yeah. just like forgets to say things because it's so normal for her you know but i think milo the incident that set it off for milo is that the in like first couple episodes the pod person um the pod ghost like mm -hmm. someone died under her care and she hasn't said anything it's not in any books um, the ghost didn't didn't seem to know what happened exactly. Um, and then I think the now, obviously, the mistrust of her dating his father is something you would uh, say to a normal person once you <laughs> once you meet them, you know? Hey, we got to find out what happened to that guy, please. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. What up with the pod person? Great question. But at the same time, Dr. Morrow's been nothing but good to Milo, you know? I don't think he's, like, fearful or anything, but he just wants to get to the bottom. Sort of like Val of, like, what is Dr. Morrow not sharing and why, you know? Yeah. Bray would like to know in Discord, uh, is Dr. Mir Morrow okay emotionally? Does she need a hug? Does January give her hugs? I'm very invested in whether or not she gets hugs. I really wanted to pair these two questions together. It's like <laughs> some people are very distrustful and other people just want Cassandra to be to have a little hug from her little rabbit friend at the end of the day. She's fine. <laughs> she <laughs> she's out of the same wavelength. She's too busy inventing new vegetables and energy to the legend of Curly's Gold. Like she's fine. <laughs> Are we going to talk about those vegetables or? <laughs> nope. We're not going to talk about it. Nope. <laughs> okay. Um, great. Yeah. I, I totally agree with this read that, that Brandon, you just said is like, she just, she just does science. She'd rather talk about the shit she's doing than her feelings. And that's fine by her. I, I realize it's unsatisfying, but like, man, welcome to trying to talk about your feelings with other people. <laughs> Population, lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, there were a lot of questions about energy too and inventing vegetables. <laughs> I, just keep, I just keep trying to 
trying to find, come up with new shit that Dr. Mara's working on. Like, ever since that she split electrons and found out new electrons in that one episode a little while ago, I'm just like, she's doing random shit. She's just working on stuff. Who can say? Only the doctor. Let's move into uh, more emotionally uh, dicey territory with Danny Corner. Um, Danny Corner? I have a perspective on this. Players, we didn't. I didn't discuss this with you guys before we did it. What did you think and feel when this scene happened? I was really... One, I'm always excited when we get another Aggie sibling. I yeah. think everyone is always excited when we mm-hmm. get another Aggie sibling. That's mm-hmm. just like par for the course. It was really interesting to see Aggie's relationship. I think we've really only seen your relationship with like the really younger siblings, the ones that are separated by many years and Danny being the second oldest and like has his life together and is like reputable, but in like a way where he has a family and a wife and like responsibilities was super interesting because we haven't seen a lot of other super responsible O'Hare siblings yet. Yeah. (laughs) I was just, uh, I love the character, but me as Brandon was like, if my sibling talked to me like this, I would be so fucking mad. <laughs> That's because you're a youngest sibling, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about how this happened. I think that this is a fun time to do it. What I really loved about this was that this was entirely Amanda's idea. Of Right when we started this arc, Amanda was like, hey, I would love it if I met more of my siblings and saw more of their powers. And I'm like, okay, which one do you want? And Amanda's like, probably Danny. Like, Danny's like a goo- like an artist and it probably has something to do with their powers. I'd love to explore that. I'm like, okay, great. And then we did it. And then I remember right before we started the scene, I was like, Amanda, we're doing the thing we talked about. And then we started the scene. Yeah, I think like I was listening back to the tape because I remember seeing you guys sort of off mic talking to each other. And I was like, obviously I couldn't hear you because I think one of us, me or Julia was speaking. And I looked back at the tape and I was like, oh, (laughs) one of y'all was like, hey, are we doing this? Yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's our that's our uh, also our heist uh, code phrase. As it happens, <laughs> that was for me the the first thing I knew about Aggie is that she was one of many kids, um, and kind of folding the siblings into the narrative. Like Quinn was surprised on me. I didn't know we were gonna hang out with Quinn when she came onto the scene. So I loved that, and I just wanted more of it. I have an idea as to what Danny's power is. And I think I intimated in that phone call, like he has had to sort of reconcile his profession and his power. So we're not sure exactly how those things interact, if it's related to his success or if it's not. Like that's kind of a larger sort of O'Hare sibling mystery. Um, But (laughs) I think that Aggie, yeah, needed to deal with the fact that, you know, this is increasingly a part of her life. And like many older siblings, myself included, going to your younger siblings for advice, it's always a dicey thing. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it just makes you feel bad. Um, And there are a lot of questions from people about, like, is Danny the worst O'Hare? Why is he an asshole? Like, what made him so bad? And to me, this really really, um, rings true as, like, no one knows you like your siblings do. And particularly for... I, so I'm the oldest and 
I think that I am <laughs> I am tolerant of and know my younger siblings in a way no one else does in their in their lives. Like Danny is married, has little kids. By the way, I think his kids are probably like three or four and in like their preschool science fair, which is the extremely funny thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. the most O'Hare shit I've yeah, ever heard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, think, I think he um, and Monique have twins that are like either two or three and they're in like a preschool science fair and he's extremely, you know, a, a, a hyper parent about it. So I think when he is sort of just like has to be on all the time in public and has to like give interviews and meet people and like that's sort of what I think Eric was getting at with the science fair like when you're around other parents and people you have to be a person but when you're in the middle of work and someone who you know is going to love you no matter what calls then you can kind of like take the artifice off so I guys don't worry I don't think he's a villain I don't think he is terrible I think it's just you know your older sister calls when you're in the middle of doing something and you're like what do you want (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was 100% what it was. I There was just moments. I think I did come off a little. He would have been really pissed that he couldn't do his art right now. Like, from what I understand about painting, it's very difficult. Also, he was, like, doing it outside on a roof. That was, like, what I had in my head while he was out, like, up on a, he was, like, on, like, a 20-story building, and it was windy, and that's where he was painting uh, that day. That was, like, we never really got into that, but that's what I was envisioning. And then he's, like, no, it's fine. Margaret, hello? (laughs) What do you need? Um, And it's just a lot of uh, him talking to his family. He does not act like that to anybody else. And, like, you can also, Monique seemed like, which you told me that Danny had a wife named Monique, and I'm like, that's great. Uh, Monique definitely seems like the kind of person who, like, keeps him in line. It's like, I'm not dealing with your shit. Don't be a sourpuss. Like, you need to be nice. (laughs) Don't be Sour Anthony. (laughs) Yeah, she knows Sour Anthony from way back. Um... And that was, he's like only allowed to be prickly with the people who know him closest and Aggie will just deal with it and not push back on him. So, which is why he was like that. Hey, I love this character. It's a great character choice. I'm just going to say for everyone out there, don't be prickly to the people that you love. Don't take them for granted. (laughs) Be even more nice to your siblings and family, please. Not a Danny. (laughs) Yeah. Keep your heart open with laughter and love. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely do understand, though, from uh, from friends of mine who are parents that, like, you carve out three hours of your week to do something on your own and, like, by God, you are going to use them. So I, <laughs> I kind of empathize with his reaction to being called in that moment. The, the thing underneath is, like, even though Danny doesn't like the artist world, he's like, these are massive institutions that need me to do things like, hey, the Guggenheim needs me to paint today. And nope, I can't do it because I'm talking to my big sister. OK. All right. There we go. So I just think that he's tied up in a lot of stuff, but we'll see how his uh, the relationship and what his stuff does um, and what his power is as it ties into stuff that happens later. Who can say? Who can, Who say? can say? Dice Obsession would like to know if Danny's kids have powers and what is the worst superpower for a toddler to have? I think the first part, <laughs> who can say? But second part, what do we think, guys? I think uh, levitation, like um, telekinesis would be really bad. (laughs) I was going to say teleportation or invisibility is very bad for a toddler. Invisibility would be the worst. The worst. Just awful. You'd be like, all right, we're holding it. And where did you go? (laughs) (laughs) Or teleportation. Like you can't have a cute little backpack leash. You can't have a harness. Can't have a stroller. Because if they want to go, you know, hug Mickey Mouse, like, oh. No, oh no. All of a sudden you're at Space Mountain. Yes. <laughs> they are on top of Mickey Mouse 200 yards away. What do you do? <laughs> 
I would like now to move to a category that Eric called Hank Lane, colon, dad of the year. Um, oh, yes. Y slash N, what do you guys think? Why? Yes. <laughs> Such a good dad. Such big dad energy. I, I teared up. This interaction was so wholesome. I loved it. I love the relationship between Milo and his dad. I think, like, of the of the two people in this secret clandestine relationship, like, it totally makes sense why Milo's dad wouldn't tell him about a relationship, even if it was with uh, the mayor. Like, why would he discuss his previous dating life? So, like, I think this, this boy is just a sweet, sweet, innocent uh, corporate man and he's a nice he's a nice man he just works for the cia and loves keeping accidentally keep secrets even when yep. he doesn't even know hey here's another thing i didn't know what was gonna happen uh brandon's like i need to talk to my dad and i'm like all right let's do it <laughs> but instead of uh discussing the thing that was on your mind you reveal your other deepest darkest secret <laughs> only two deep dark secrets to talk about today what the well, hell brandon the in the scene i was going to do both like I was, I was initially gonna like. The thought was I was going to talk about the photo, but then the idea was, well, I gotta put all my cards on the table so I can explain why I need to talk about this photo. Sure. But the scene went so well and had a natural conclusion that I was like, no, we'll just talk about this for now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I loved it. It was so funny. The moment when we realized that you were deflecting to one secret to go to another secret, <laughs> we all, we all just, we all just laughed. Yeah, I loved, I like being surprised, being a surprised person in my own campaign. It's very nice. And like, you all surprise me all the time, but I don't necessarily get to be surprised because I need to have a firm grasp on the wheel and say what happens next. So when I'm just like, oh, I don't have to do anything, uh, Hank drops his glass. <laughs> and it's like, what? What? And that was a really satisfying moment for me. I think it's also nice for Milo because now he has someone who's not, you know, a colleague and a boss to, yeah. you know, get advice from. You don't get advice from Lucas, who I was obviously say. has great advice. Well, he could get advice from Lucas, but it's mostly his advice is just like, yeah, sign my poster and I'll sell it on eBay. So it's not really <laughs> useful. <laughs> that sounds really useful. That sounds like a great making money making scheme. <laughs> there you go. How are you supposed to go to Coachella if you don't have money from this money making? Isn't Milo the kind of person to go to Coachella? Though? Luke, Lucas wants to go to Coachella with Milo money. That's what he What's, wants to do. There, What's the fair. nerd Coachella? Is it like, like it's Comic Con? Come on, Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? He, he wants to go to PAX East really bad. It's, yeah, it's not buying bad. a ticket to Comic Con, but being in San Diego for Comic Con. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Listen, all we have to do is sell like 20 posters, five baseballs, and one meet and greet, and both of us are going to meet Nathan Fillion. Excellent. <laughs> Andrew Rothstein would like to know, and Brandon, feel free to um, X card this question if you have to, um, how weird or awkward was it when uh, Milo's dad gave him the talk? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was very awkward at all. I think all parents need to give their children the talk. Uh, as early as is appropriate because children need to have the knowledge and information they need to to go into a fully consenting sex life as they age into their puberty stages. And I think it was wonderful. I think Hank's a good dad. Question over. <laughs> there we go. Great. Uh, next, Kiko Maki on Instagram asks, I think the most profound question we've ever been asked on the show. Since he technically belonged first to Milo's dad, does Tuna know about him and Dr. Mayor Morrow? <gasps> oh, that's a good question. The answer is yes, but Tuna would never tell you. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Hank, well, yeah, uh, daddy. <laughs> That's what we call him. Uh, Daddy went into the room and wouldn't let me in, and it was fucking bullshit. <laughs> I think Kuna's like the R2-D2 of this universe, where like R2-D2 knows literally all of it, but has said nothing to anyone about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The next stop on this journey together we're taking uh, was titled uh, Val, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> yes, I think that's a very appropriate general question to begin with. I was riveted by this scene. I loved it. I would watch several movies of it. I would like watch an HBO prestige miniseries about it. I, I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. I have the inspirations for this. There is a scene, one of my favorite novels by my favorite author is called Mysteries of Pittsburgh by Michael Chabon. It's kind of like a all-in-one summer novel in the tradition of like The Great Gatsby and Goodbye Columbus. There's this graduate student who like goes through life and love in one summer in at like Carnegie Mellon. And so it's all set in Pittsburgh. But the, the side story is that he is the son of the egghead of the mob in Pittsburgh. Like his dad runs all the numbers for the mob. It's a, this novel is incredible. So there's a moment where he meets this one of his friends whose name is Cleveland. He's this six foot five giant named Cleveland with like a leather jacket and really fancy Clark Kent glasses. He's very funny. <laughs> and there's a moment where Cleveland is working as like muscle or like pickup and delivery for the mob. And there's a moment where uh, he like kidnaps Art, who is the main character, and brings him on pick- picking up debts from a bunch of different places because Art has never gotten his hands dirty to understand what his dad's business is. Because like, Mm -hmm. oh, my dad just does numbers for this thing, and it's like the the mystique of crime. And I feel like this is what Salamone was trying to do with Val as well. Is like, you've been able to just float on and work at this pizza place, and and your dad and Aunt Min are going to tell you to like, oh, we're going to try to get you and how great you are and how big and strong you are, great, but you're going to have to fucking do the job one of these days. So that's what Salamone was doing forcing Val to like actually participate in the action of of mob stuff which we've we've been touching on a little bit like oh cool organized crime oh mob but like this is what the mob is it's collecting money through threats of violence and weapons like that's welcome to organized crime yep it was really interesting to see Val in this be so calm and cool in this situation like I don't know for sure you guys can tell me if Val's done this exact thing before but like it was almost like blase um to a point where like I'm curious as to what Val's next move is like is Val just sort of going to like go along with this so to not rock the boat or is Val going to sort of try to uh, get out of the game kind of thing you know yeah I think that when it comes to Val Val just kind of like knows what organized crime is and is familiar with the steps that are taken in order to make money for these people you know what i mean so when you say that val was blasé i think val just didn't want to escalate the situation more than it needed to be for sure and so when like that's why they acted so quickly when salamoni went to go break the chair it was awesome and i which like you know uh, that's what val can do val can stop things physically and Val can intimidate. That is their area of expertise. So it makes sense for them to be brought on this kind of uh, job. But at the same time, it also makes sense for them to be able to stop things from getting worse than they actually are. It also seemed that like Salamone was trying to almost egg Val on, Eric, like trying Mm -hmm. to get something out of them. Like, 
I don't so I don't know if Salamone knows something about Val or suspects something, but um yeah, I thought that was an interesting interplay. What um what was Val's exposure to mob stuff growing up? Like were they just kind of, you know, the kid in the back of the restaurant like as their dad carried out business? Jake and I have been rewatching Sopranos. Excellent. <laughs> and there is a moment, there's two moments that I remember they do flashbacks to Tony's childhood in The Sopranos. And one of them is where their dad, who is also a mobster, takes one of his daughters to an amusement park because they were all bring their daughters to an amusement park as an excuse to do business there where it wouldn't look suspicious to the cops. And there is another scene where Tony is like, they're picking up money from basically the butcher and the butcher owes them money has been avoiding them and tony accidentally wanders back into the back room as they're threatening the guy and cut off his finger so i think i don't know if Mm. val specifically saw that kind of violence but i think they definitely saw someone like get shaken down before Mm -hmm. what i also think is interesting though there is that like what if Tony has superpowers? <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I don't think you can you can force Val to be in the mob because Val can literally just snap you in half. Like, yeah, like so. So this is a little bit of a conscious decision to not rock the boat for Val. You know, so I'm curious to see where that goes. I think Val doesn't respond well to threats. Yeah, right. mm. yeah. I think that this is also paired with. The fact that Val also knows that their dad is very, very rich, considering how they just get shit all of the time. That mm-hmm. is kind of like the, the the setting of that, is that this is still happening, business is booming, Val's dad has multiple families. That's how it do. Yeah, I was totally thinking of that scene. I feel like Val has seen some sort of guy getting beat up and like there being guns and things like that. Um, and also uh, their mom trying to shield them from this as much as possible. So there's mm-hmm. really the, te- the tension with, with this. Um, but I think there is a there are two questions that where we can address um, address this stuff. Yes, Hakuna Yurtatas in Discord. Yes, I said I said the name. It's very good. <laughs> I would like name. to know: Does Salamoni know about Val's powers? Sal comments that Val is stronger than they look, and then later about how fast Val is. And to me, that sounded like Sal has suspicions that are unconfirmed. I had the same view. Well, the whole reason that Val is doing this favor is because Salamone saw them fighting the Giga Bear and helped out. So I have to assume that Salamone knows about Val's superhero persona and also their powers. I think it's fair. I, I thought that was pretty well uh, implied. But then, Brandon, you said you didn't know that. So <laughs> I really want to say this explicitly here. Yes, Salamone was the one who texted Val and gave them the giant cannon shot through the through the window. Um, and so Salamone, yes, does know about the powers. Um, was Val in costume? I forget in the museum. Yes. Yes. So does Salamone just like make the uh, make the connection? There were a few. There were actually a few perception rolls that I asked y'all to do like mm. a, a bunch of times during mm. that that's that section and I did a few and yeah Val was being tailed that entire time and Val just never saw uh, it. Oh shit, never saw it. Yeah, that's there was cool. like the combination of the dro- of like the little drones that happened that were sent out by Gutenberg and also Val getting tailed uh, tailed by the mob. So those were those little roles that um 
you might not have known it were an explanation for. I don't know. I, I Listen, I like knowing when people don't get crumbs that I've laid out. It's very yeah. much worthwhile. So I'm more than happy to say definitively, this is why they know. This is also something that we didn't have a problem with last time, which is, oh, I need to know whether people are interacting with these people with costumes on or not and or both. And that's very uh, important right. and something I'm trying to keep in my head. Well, Eric, to, to make you feel better, I just want to say that I am uh, notoriously unobservant so <laughs> yeah but it balances out because you listen to every episode like four times so you're right now you're like the perfect audience and we're always happy to clarify so this is a, a good opportunity to answer uh fennel sauce's question on twitter as someone with less gangster movie knowledge i struggled to understand motivations during the scene with salimony mostly the finer points on the type of person the restaurant owner was what did val think was going on and why did they feel so strongly about it it's a great question and we're happy to answer it so we we already talked about the fact that Val mostly wanted to de-escalate the situation. And I think part of Val's motivation for a lot of this scene and a lot of this arc, to be honest, is Val loves their neighborhood. And so the idea that a mom and pop place like Il Popo has to be taking out $50,000 loans from the mob in order to stay in business really worries Val. Because like, we we've we've talked about it in the world building episodes a little bit but like there is a little bit of a threat of gentrification for little italy with like the very fancy hipster bar docks going mm -hmm. in there and mm -hmm. the uh, ports kind of being closed to the like underground mob world it's it's concerning because Val loves their neighborhood. Val loves their neighborhood with the love that Daredevil has for Hell's Kitchen for no reason. <laughs> and then they're about the same size. But Val really does care about their community and their uh, neighborhood. So, yeah, Val doesn't want to see things like this happen. They don't want to see businesses like Il Popo threatened. I've always wanted to know at what avenue Daredevil stops caring. <laughs> <laughs> You hit mid Eighth Avenue. Gone too far. Eighth Avenue is the answer. Sixth Avenue, fuck them. It, it, and if you get on a subway, Daredevil's like, no, no, no. You'll only be able to walk. You can only walk my territory. And, and yes, to be clear, the restaurant owner had taken out a loan from the mob because they needed money and the mob was coming back to collect on the payments. So that was what Salamone was doing there. The restaurant owner was like, ah, I, I will, I promise. And Salamone um, was trying to use Val intimidation wise to be like you make your payments please yeah mm -hmm. Sal Salone also showed up early which is bullshit that's he, not what you do he did yeah. do that so he, to what Brandon was saying yes yeah, Salamone was I don't know if this is something you knew about Salamone has some machismo didn't know if you could figure <laughs> that out about him but yeah he intentionally came and it was like hey I'm oh I'm here two days early what are you gonna do I have this super powered friend here and I'm gonna kick the shit out of your shit and you need to pay it back. The thing that happened, let's talk about that Nat 20 though. Mm -hmm. How the, because I thought shit was going to pop off, I gave um, the restaurateur the gun to shoot Salamone in the back with uh, with the fucking uh, Tommy gun with ice powers. And Joe and jo Joseph and Joseph were there too. <laughs> to like let it go Joey down. Joey and Joseph. Joey and Joseph Esquire. Yeah. So I really wanted the threat of violence there. It just so happens, Val, you're right. Val is a superhero in a mob movie, which kind of takes some of the drama out of it, you know? <laughs> when you can just, like, pull the clip out of the gun, the gun can't shoot anymore, and then you throw all the bullets into the sun, and what are you supposed to do? 
But then I think it, I think that's why it's so interesting because yeah, it, it changes from a mobster movie into a character study movie. Like then it's all about Val and like, it's more akin to like, I don't know, like breaking bad or something, you know, like it's a, mm. it's a single personality and, and how they decide to navigate that world. It's interesting. Yeah. I listen, we're going to, we're going to touch on some other stuff that happens. Uh, we're going to touch on some other stuff as it escalates with Join the Channel. Absolutely. There absolutely was a moment where me as a player was like, maybe I should just let him get shot. And that's one less thing to worry about. But <laughs> mm, no, he's family. And then Val made their move. Do you think Val would be okay with letting anyone get shot? Like, what is Val's tolerance for violence? Uh, I don't think Val is... 100% anti-violence. I right. will say that as the barbarian of the <laughs> group. But I don't I don't know. I think Val has been exposed to a lot of violence in their life and I don't think that has necessarily made them anti-violent because I think in certain circumstances violence can solve problems. But <laughs> I don't think Val would ever let someone that they are associated with get hurt if they could help it mm. it's a trolley problem kind of thing i feel like <laughs> but for val it's stand in front of the trolley and take the hit because you get half bludgeoning damage yeah that tank <laughs> life though which is like yeah hey finally the class you're not a fighter you are not a damage dealer you're a tank and i think that that has something to do with the way that you respond to that stuff and i i love it mm. yeah well put well i'm gonna go duck into the kitchen and get us some more calamari so guys i'll be right back Ooh. Bring the marinara. With the spicy marinara. Yeah. <laughs> the red sauce. Hey, it's Amanda. This is uh, not a particularly glamorous uh, anecdote to begin this with, but I love the feeling of there's like a corner in your house with a bunch of uh, boxes you have to go through or returns that you have to make or packages that you have to unpack or holiday presents that have to find a home in your home. And it's just like, for me, a corner of shame that I'm going to have to deal with. But what really motivates me to actually deal with it is the feeling of looking at the empty corner after you have dealt with all of those items being like, wow, that was a problem and now it's not. And it's because of me and the things that I did. And it is just such a concrete before and after that I feel like there are so few of in this life. So this is brought to you by the space where a shame corner used to be. Welcome to the mid-roll. Hello and welcome to our newest patrons, April, Jane, and Peter. Thank you so, so much for dedicating some of your money to support a podcast that you really like. We really appreciate every single person who has decided to do so on Patreon. You make it possible for this to be our jobs, particularly in a tumultuous and uncertain time. We love talking with you every day in our thriving Discord. Shout out to the new puppies who have joined us this year. And if you want to check out these adorable uh, bagels, and cats shaped like loaves and uh, puppies with sweaters, you can. Please join our Patreon today for as little as $5 at patreon.com slash join the party pod. And if you haven't checked your Patreon in a while, do so. You can look at things like our exclusive Join the Team three-part mini-series, but you got to make sure that you're on one of the new tiers because several dozen of you are still on the old one and you're not getting access to your rewards. So please go ahead and check it out. 
And listen, we get that uh, monetary support is not an option for everyone. So it really genuinely helps us a lot when you tell someone about the show, when you recommend the show to a friend. And, you know, putting it on social is really nice, but it's actually really effective and really personal to text or message somebody who you think would like the show and say, hey, I think you'd love this podcast because and tell them why and recommend that they start with a certain episode, whether it's our Mothman or Goat Party one shots or campaign one or two. As you know, we have intro episodes that teach people how to play D&D. A great link to send them is jointhepartypod.com slash start, where we have the first episodes and uh, new beginner start here episodes for each of the arcs. So it is super helpful. And listen, whether or not you can pledge any money to us on Patreon, that's okay. But if every one of you could recommend the show to just one friend who you think would like it, it would make a huge difference for us. So uh, new year, new podcast listening club, start one with someone you know and send them the link to jointhepartypod.com slash start. We are sponsored this week by BetterHelp, a secure online counseling service. I get my therapy through BetterHelp, and I really, really love it. I've had a genuinely really good experience with a therapist that has a specialty that I was not able to find locally, even here in New York City. It's so hard to find somebody who is available, who is kind of centrally or conveniently located, who's taking new patients, not to mention who specializes in something that you need. And that's why I love that BetterHelp matches you with a professional counselor, letting you do live phone or video sessions, and even message your therapist in between calls. And because they want you to find a really good match with a counselor you really like, it's easy and free to switch counselors if you need to. That is not true of offline counseling. It's also more affordable, which is fantastic, and they offer financial aid. If you want to sign up for BetterHelp, you can get 10% off your first month of counseling by signing up at betterhelp.com slash join the party. That's betterhelp.com slash join the party for 10% off your first month. And we are also sponsored by our very good friends at Shaker and Spoon. This is a craft cocktail subscription box that sends you everything you need to make three kinds of cocktails, four of each, that's 12 drinks, perfectly proportioned to use up one whole bottle of that month's spirit. If you're interested in trying new things, learning a new skill this year, or doing remote socializing with different friends, get shaker and spoon boxes and get the bottle of spirits and together over Zoom or with your partner or whatever, figure out how to make these new cocktails through their beautiful recipe cards designed by world-class bartenders to show you the range of what that spirit is all about. They send you custom bitters, spirits, things to grate over your drinks, like a disc of amazing chocolate or a nut of nutmeg, which yes, is actually a nut. It's pretty amazing. And they are just a fantastic company, which I always, I'm so happy when we're able to bring you a sponsor who I love and really believe in. So listen, do yourself a favor, send the best gift ever to your friends, start a Shaker and Spoon social club with people you love, and go ahead and sign up for Shaker and Spoon at shakerandspoon.com slash join the party. That link will give you and anyone you love $20 off your first box. That's shakerandspoon.com slash join the party. And now back to the after party. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoy my house-made marinara. Ooh, thank you. It's got a little bit of kick. This is my favorite marinara of all time. I need the recipe. Well, we have three corners left. I'm very excited. Wait. Woo, 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 woo. Sorry, I have an, there's an alarm going off of my phone. Woo, huh? woo, 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 woo. I have a special report. I'm breaking news here. Hello. What? Uh, I... 
this is a new section, a new emergency section of podcast within a podcast I like to call Join the Party Listeners Have Really Awesome Jobs That Interest Us and Can Give Us Backseat Information and Some Stuff. Oh, oh sure. Someone from the mob <laughs> contact us? No, this is no, not no, the no. mob contact. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Um, I want to shout out our good friend Aaron, who's at Aaron Hawk, Hawk Gizzle on Instagram, who is going through campaign one right now, but they reached out to us to say that they were on Chopped and want to tell us all about what it was like being on Chopped. <gasps> oh my um, God. Yes. My favorite television program? Yes, absolutely. Tell me everything about Ted Allen. <laughs> I would, uh, I also just want to say, Eric, as a person who censors sad things from movies for me, I only want to know good things about Food Network, please. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, can we get them on the phone? Can you just give them a quick call real fast? <laughs> mm-hmm, real well, quick. Brandon, I will amuse your boosh by saying the, this first thing <laughs> is that uh, Aaron heard Ted Allen say, ah, fuck, let me try that line again. And that was <laughs> oh, really nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let me set the scene. First of all, Aaron has not listened to anything past like the middle of campaign one. So I'm intentionally doing this so that Aaron can just listen to these time codes of this thing. Oh, I was going to say hello from the past, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Hello from the future, Aaron. You're you're here and we're happy that you're here. Um, okay. So Aaron was on a special Meet Your Match episode, which had only female butchers, which is incredible. Oh my God, I love that episode. What? Very good. Ah! Wait, so why is it Meet Your Match? It's meet, meet, you know, meet like meet. Oh, yeah. like like your match, like your 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 competition match. I guess yes. other women yes. butchers. Not it's like a not, dating. It's not episode. a dating show for butchers. And <laughs> and the, the the things that all the candidates said in their like talking head moments, everyone was like, "Yeah, it's really cool to meet other women butchers. Like this is great." Oh <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. So they had something specific where they had to break down stuff with butchering, and then they had to add a plate, like a entree or an app, out of it. So uh, I asked how if they act if the baskets were actually secret. Uh, they only had ten minutes of seeing the basket before it was being filmed. Wow. They had no idea what it was going to be, but they shot like an initial sort of like reveal and then they did another one that was going right into it. So like they really only had like eight minutes to think about what food they were going to do uh, from the basket. It's very impressive. Uh, her judges for that episode were was Alex Gornicelli, uh mm. Mark, I don't remember who Mark is. Uh, he grew up in Italy and France with the spiky hair. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, and then uh, the special judge was uh, Carrie Underly, who owns the Chicago School of Butchery. So that was oh, a big cool. deal because that's one of Aaron's like big uh, idols. Um, Alex is actually the nicest person on set, and the edit is rude. Yes. Yeah, I could, I could see that. She spent time talking to everyone. She was the only judge to leave her seat every single round and check things out. And she reached out to everyone after the episode to see how happy she was to participate in it. Oh, oh that's so Alex. sweet. Oh, so good on Instagram too. What what mom energy? Well, now I feel better about going to her restaurants or whatever. Yeah, Alex Cornichelli, just great. Everyone go to butter. It's the bread at butter is so good. When you get a vaccine. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. Um, there's liquor on the shelf to cook with, and no one can stop you from drinking it, which Aaron did every single round. Incredible. <laughs> um, spoiler for this episode of Chopped, but Aaron came in second. She lost by only two points at the end. Apparently, there's a very intricate point system. Wow. So that's oh. actually, I didn't know how, how they decided that. I thought it was just hey, like a yay or nay vote from the yeah. judges. They make it seem where it's like, oh, you did this like a little bit not great. So that's actually really interesting. Um, just some preli- just some stuff. All ovens are set to 350, and you get a full pot of water at full boil before everything starts. Smart. Smart. Um, I did notice that, yeah. 
They also pull stuff from the fridge each round that have to do with the basket ingredients, like to make sure that you're actually doing the basket ingredients. Um, for this oh, bit- like if it gives you a kind of cheese, they don't put other cheese in there? Yeah, like they pull cheese oh. out of the fridge. Oh. Uh, for this specific episode, which Aaron did look into, all of the unused hunks of meat were made for lunch for the crew, and any remainder was delivered immediately to a food shelter. That's oh, incredible. Good. Oh, thank God. So yeah, these are all that. good, nice things about Food Network and Chopped. Guys, I'm sorry we're pivoting the podcast to JTP listeners have really interesting jobs, and one of them was on Chopped. <laughs> Can you ask Aaron? The only other question I have left is, how long from when they plate do the judges taste it? Because it's obviously cold right because they gotta do like beauty shots and all that kind of stuff yeah my I... my understanding is that they can keep things either under a heat lamp not under a heat lamp or in a fridge or freezer like if you mm. have a dessert they they do let you keep it in the freezer so i would i would love to know if that's true and like what the kind of storage and timing is between like okay like time is up and then someone eating the last person's dish and well Aaron did ask say that I should hit hit them up and they love listening and join the party, especially when they're cooking uh with their with their partner and how wonderful it is. So it's just a chopped crossover in so many different ways. I oh, love yeah. Aaron. Incredible. <laughs> Thank you. This is such a present. I appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. All right, now stop listening because we're gonna talk about stuff you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am reeling. Um, but luckily we have the fantastic poppy corner. We got a fantastic, wonderful, I said that twice because it's just so good email from Poppy <laughs> with some excellent questions. Firstly, if Aggie Val and Milo and NPCs of your choice, Eric, were to play D and D together, what character would they play? I think Aggie would play a wizard because she likes having lots of little things to look at and use. <laughs> hmm. Huh. Ooh. I think Milo would play a druid, ironically, but like a straight up druid, like a, he would like to play with animals, you know? Yeah. Be like, I want to turn into a tiger. Yeah, exactly. How about January and Dez, Eric? I'm, I'm gotta know. Uh, Des would be an artificer because what is the point of having all this knowledge if I can't yep. use it in dramatic sequences? <laughs> uh, I think January would be a barbarian, so it's like a really jacked person with like a rabbit head. I think no, but really what is January in this fictional D and D game? Eric? Uh, <laughs> there it is. There it is. I think Val go warlock. Yeah, that makes sense. Val would go what this fucking game for nerds and then flip books. Like, Fuck reading. <laughs> You're like, oh man, I can sell my soul to a devil? Hell yes. How punk. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm back in, but if this ruins my relationship with Jesus, I'm out. <laughs> uh, next question is juice worldwide. Can I get myself a celery juice in Australia, please? Juice is a local chain. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. You can get a juice at all the other juice bars everywhere. It's the same <laughs> as every other juice bar. Uh, what are January's pronouns? I think I've heard both they, them, and he, him. Uh, he, him, um, but I also feel strange because January's a rabbit. So, uh, you know, it, it's more like not it. I think is January is a gender, yeah, and is like they, he, whatever, doesn't matter. I'm, a, I'm January. Yeah. 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 He's awakened. He doesn't need the concept of gender. <laughs> he is. He transcends it. Exactly. I feel like it's kind I'm of a not- similar thing with... Um, with uh, the cat, too, you know? Yeah. Right. With tuna. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more just about personhood as opposed to being, like, a- an animal. And then tuna is just, like, a magical creature. Like, whatever. Chilling. Just 
just the spirit has no gender you know what i mean exactly yeah <laughs> does the ghost hand that comes out of miles chest look like the mickey mouse glove like anaris machan <laughs> no it does not <laughs> but really? uh in your fan art it does so hit us up <laughs> Let's all list other weird things that Milo's hand could look like. A baseball glove. All bones. All bones. Just skeleton. Swords. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. The twins, Joseph and Joey. Is Joey short for something? Yeah, they're both named Joseph. <laughs> do they have different middle names at least? No, they're the same. You can't do that. They have, Why they have they sequential social security numbers. Yeah, but like they're both being named after the same grandfather, so that would be disrespectful. <laughs> they're actually different grandfathers. Yeah, and they're both and they're both Joseph. Yeah, he's after Grandpa Joseph, and this one's named after Grandpa Joseph. Grandpa Joseph from Sicily and Grandpa Joe from Italy. Right? Oh my God! All it's right, the same country. Calabria is one. <laughs> Um, this is a question from both Poppy and Biology Becca um, on Instagram. I am listening to Next Stop and heard Average Bear mentioned there too. Are they set in the same universe? Oh, oh no, no. Trying it's Kombucha, the ECU. So he's he figuring it out. Um, I think it's the ECU, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, it's 100% the ECU. Uh, That's I... the Eric Cinematic Universe, by the way, a play on Marvel. Uh, Shouldn't it be EPU, yeah. Eric Podcast Universe? The, it's the EFU. It's Julia, the, we're really, we're, we're getting up there. We're just reaching. It's the yeah. Eric fictional universe. There you go. So there I'm going to put Average Bear in the eventual novel that I write. Absolutely. It's the FU. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fuck off. Just just, just enjoy it. Um, yes, I 100% put that in, in there intentionally. I think it's very fun. It, instead of like putting the same character in the things that I like, I like putting in the same media company, which is just a BuzzFeed. It's like, yeah, BuzzFeed is, isn't anything. It's whatever BuzzFeed you want is Average Bear. I love that so much. And here's a, uh, a D&D question. I've started DMing my first campaign. One of my characters is chaotic evil. Do you have any tips as to how I can, for lack of a better phrase, uh, deal with that? <laughs> oh, man. I would say, number one, don't be chaotic to a point that is distracting to the other players in the DM. Like, there's a very fine line of fun chaotic and disruptive chaotic, um, especially when you're evil. Uh, don't let evil characters in your party if that's not something you want to deal with. You're the you're the DM. You make the rules. Yeah, that's what I would say. I think you need to talk to this person and be like, hey... What are what are you doing here? Do you is this what you actually want? Like, how is this going to function within the rest of the party? And then saying the thing that that Brandon said, which is like, chaos is is a very fine line, and really is more of an opportunity to give people who don't want to collaborate full carte blanche to be like, it's what my character would do. So right. I think just really laying out the the priorities here. I just also don't understand why a chaotic evil person would want to be in, in like a traditional a fantasy adventuring yeah. party. Like why are they there is a really interesting question. I think the only way you can really like plausibly play an evil character um, and still be a good player and um, co-player <laughs> um, is like defining evil as like someone who is like a quote unquote evil character, like a mob boss or like a, you know, some kind of like quote unquote evil person where they're not evil to themselves, like based on perspective, but like to the rest of society, they might be quote unquote evil. Well, like an Otherwise, anarchist it, under a corrupt government. 
This is also just a problem that I have with the uh, like D&D alignment in general is that no real like person thinks of themselves as evil. And uh, in my home game, we use the uh, Magic the Gathering color alignment, which I think is much more like flexible and versatile and deals with like goals and how you achieve them rather than being like, I'm good and I'm lawful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think that moving away from that is definitely maybe an easier way to think of it. Because, like, also, yeah, good and evil doesn't work. I like lawful, chaotic, and then active, passive. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it doesn't have to do with whether or not you yourself or the laws. Because the thing is, is, like, good and evil is so subjective. But I guess we're assuming that, like, society and the laws of society are calling you good or evil and, like, following the social mores. But then it's like, do you ascribe to those laws or are you chaotic around those laws? And then do you mm -hmm. do something about it or do you not do something about it? That I feel like might help. And then really figuring out what is happening. But again, just talk, yeah. You could just say, don't do this. Please don't do this. I know you, I know it's something you want to do. Please, it's not going to be fun for anyone but you. Please trust me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like as a as a player, I don't think it it was obvious to me early on, especially how much work the DM is putting into the game and how much you could disrupt that plan and everybody else's experience with like individual character choices. So I think, you know, saying, hey, this is what I'm trying to achieve. This is how your actions impact me. You know, this is what I like. What what do you want to get out of this game? And, you know, let's figure out a way together for both of us to get what we want. Maybe the answer is this is not exactly what you were looking for and we can gracefully exit. And maybe it's, oh, you're right. You know, let's let's twist the motivation or twist the character or reframe them in this way to make it more of a collaboration. Because, mm -hmm. you know, nobody tells you necessarily unless somebody tells you like the game doesn't teach you that this is a collaborative enterprise that you have to think about everybody's experience hanging out together and not just like what is my character going to do to like beat the monsters yeah 100 mm. it's especially hard if like if this is your first game like to get that without experience yeah it is well good luck poppy we uh we believe in you moving into uh some random assortment game and character questions andy noel would like to know what is val's yelp game like <laughs> uh val only leaves positive reviews oh, as so everyone good. should very good this is a little bit of a emotional uh, uh swing here uh deadly kitten asks was tuna ever in real danger what would have been the consequences if the lt3 had failed uh oh yeah five thousand percent tuna was in real danger absolutely I think that uh, I did not know necessarily was going to happen at the Juice Stakeout. I think that what happened with the Night of Mirrors and then with, with Bones showing up really kind of shook everything up in general. And Tuna, while you all were hiding, Tuna was in the line of fire. And they're like, oh, sick, a ghost, and grabbed it. And then, of course, you all made the, 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 really, in, the really fast acting plan to get Tuna back. Like, I didn't know Tuna was going to get captured, and then I didn't know until it happened that Bones was going to show it at a massive presentation. Like, he, you, he, Bones doesn't think that far ahead until he's like, look at this sick ghost I have. So <laughs> I didn't know it was going to happen. 100% Tuna was in danger. I did not know any of that was going to happen. But the lightning bolt and Aggie's fact, fast acting grabbing Tuna back definitely was was happening on the fly i mean milo still had still has the hp penalty so there is yeah. there are still are consequences thank you aggie oh you're welcome <laughs> i just no one's gonna take this cat away from us <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I also think it's important to for the character of Milo to know that it is dangerous or it was genuinely dangerous because um I think there's a shift there that we'll dive into more of of Milo taking it more seriously after that event. So mm-hmm. Yost asks, did you have the history with Milo's dad and Dr. Morrow planned out from the start? Nope. Brandon said, I hope this didn't happen, and then I made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Did I really? You 100% did. You're like, I, uh, you're like, man, I really hope that they don't date. I'm like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> Lack of cheese, not happy, asks what county Aggie's family in Ireland is from, getting strong Mayo vibes. Uh, my family uh, are from County Galway and County Leitrim. So that is kind of like the west of Ireland is sort of my idea. I haven't been to other places, so I cannot tell you. Um, but that was kind of my idea as like a you know big family outside Galway, uh, which is like a, a small, lovely, a little bit hippie uh, city in Ireland. That's lovely. Nice. I want to go. Yeah. And oh, oh, personally, I just thank you, Eric. You put this bullet here to remind to remind me. Um, shout out to Upper J. Shout out to uh, Sugar House Creamery, the wonderful <laughs> socialist uh, cheese creamery and uh, farm store in Upper J, New York. Just shout outs all around. Yeah, we're gonna put in as much upstate New York bullshit in there as possible. Get ready. <laughs> I'm hype. I love cheese. Is the cheese was so good, Julia? It was like I got a cheese that was called pound cake. It was, it felt like a pound cake. It was that creamy. It was so good. <laughs> hey, bring me back some next time. I, well, now that it. I know it's there and I already ate all of it, I definitely will. Can you only get it in pounds? Huh? They they sell, yeah. So the funny thing it's about this joke. creamery is that like it's it was self-service. I don't know if it's always self-service, but because of COVID it was. Like so it's on like, our system farm store. Yeah. So it was wrapped like, hey, it, this take this pastry, take this pie. So yes, the answer is yes. It's an honor system. That's it is freaking cool and scary for me. <laughs> Listen, people trust each other in communities. I, I don't know what that's like, but that's uh, it's great. And um, Julia, actually, Hakuna asked, what cheeses did Aggie get? I don't know any. So I, I turned it over to you. Well, I think your creameries that you listed probably have specific cheeses. So I would go with that pancake one that Eric just said. That yeah. sounds dope. Yo, I got uh, the two cheeses I got were Dutch knuckle and pound cake. And those are also Very the name. Good. Th- those are the names of my fists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And our final corner before Spoily Corner, we have a few podcasting related questions, which I always love getting. Um, so Kellen Sapp asks on Instagram, how long do your sessions usually last? Usually like a little under two hours. Does that feel right? It's about 90 minutes now. Yeah. We're getting better and better at this. I remember we used to record for like three hours during campaign one and edit and edit down to like what, 45 minutes. And -hmm. now I think we're getting really close. Like we record for 90 minutes to two hours, depending on how spicy I am and how willing I am for Brandon to forgive me. And then we get down to like (laughs) 75 minute episodes now. How do we feel about listeners who listen at 1.5 or 2x speed? I feel people. very bad about them. Stop <laughs> yeah. that. I don't I don't love it because like both as an editor and a sound designer, you're kind of taking away from the experience. But like do you, I guess. Hey, uh, come over. Hey, come over here. We're going to leave Brandon and Julia over here. We're hey. Gonna... <laughs> hey. No, no, I just I'm going to about I have us. to go get sandwiches. Like no, just leave me over here. Hey, uh. It's fine. It's it's fine. You we, do we, you it's do. your personal thing. We can't judge you. We'd rather have you listen than not listen. Yeah, please just listen. Please listen to our podcast. <laughs> I will say, I'll admit, I'm getting better. I'm now down to 1.1, but I need to keep skip silences on because people are not as good editors as Brandon. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing that um, 
is frustrating. One, I do appreciate that, Eric, you listen faster because I like to have someone who does that so they can tell me if it sounds bad faster, you know? Mm. Um, but two, I think the the frustration, not, it's not a real frustration, obviously, like, do you? But uh, the minor frustration is that, like, yeah, we edit, Julia and I edit intentionally so the pace is quickened enough that you don't notice that it's, like, at 1.0 yeah. speed, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I have shows that I listen to where, like, sound design is a big part of the experience that I do at, at 1.0 flat speed. Um, and for me, it's, it's as a person who's, like, trying to, you know, slow down sometimes, like, be intentional about my medium, like, scroll less. For me, it's fun to be immersed in the tension or in the, you know, emotional build of the moment. And I listen to lots of just chat shows at, like, 1.5 skip silences because mm-hmm. um, I want to just kind of, like, get the content. So uh, I, I say... I would prefer if people listened at you know 1.0 and heard it the way that Brandon and Julia intend for it to be listened to but we're not gonna kick you out or yell at you on Twitter if you listen the way that you want to listen to of course not if you listen next stop though listen on 1.0 speed please please yeah, yeah. please you put a lot of work into totally it. sound designed correct 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 listen to next stop that happened in 2020 oh god <laughs> so long ago it feels like five years ago well now you have to to be a JTP completionist because average bear lore is established in next stop that's true mm-hmm. you need to listen to next stop and you have to listen to the clear eyes full heart campaign to really understand everything now that that's all canon yep Tegan and Cam are technically co-workers they are I was just gonna say yeah. picture Tegan's desk right next to Cam and Tegan oh rolling god. their eyes at everything cam does that is so funny to me (laughs) right tegan was there for cam's ascendant rise and tegan was like i'm reporting can you just use our our cms properly like what (laughs) What the the fuck uh blame sydney forever in discord asks how far from the mic do you have to sit brandon to yell juice uh let's see juice (laughs) like full lean back that was like like two two feet feet. maybe (laughs) yeah yeah, you got to lean back from the mic. I do a lot of shouting, like for Apple. I do it like a full foot back and my head up to make sure that it doesn't it doesn't blow out uh, anyone's ears. Uh, yeah, I have to plug my ears a little bit sometimes when you're yelling as Apple because uh, our heads are like <laughs> 20 inches apart. What is the problem yeah. with the way that uh-huh. I speak? Everyone loves it. I don't yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, Milo also has to do that sometimes, Amanda, so it's fine. <laughs> um, C. Lauchu asks, what's your personal connection to D&D right now? Escapism, nostalgia, etc. What a good question. Escapism, 100%. I look forward to every session that I do <laughs> because it means I get to leave the world for two to four hours. Yeah, me too. And I, I like... Um, I like living in an ideal city where transportation is free, police violence is as low as it can be with police still existing. Um, you know, there's enough housing for people, all that stuff. We, you know, we can, we can make the kind of world that we hope we will one day live in. I think for me, it's weird. Cause like, it's none of those things at this point. Like I don't play D and don't think about D and D outside of this anymore. Um, just cause I'm tired and old. Um, so like for me, it's just like, I get to spend two hours playing this game. It's not even really a game. It's like, I get to spend two hours hanging with my colleagues and friends that, um, outside of quote unquote work, even though it is technically work, you know, where we get to just be ourselves and tell a fun story together. Honestly, I think I'm, mine is the other side of the coin from Brandon's is that I use it as my creative outlet right now. And it's very funny, just in the context of multitude, I think I said, I'm like, hey, in 2021, I actually feel very creatively fulfilled by joining the party. Can we just, like, get some work with some bullshit work that I need to make some money? Like, I just feel very creatively fulfilled by this, and now I want to do 
like corporate stuff, not like corporate stuff, but like things that I don't need to speak to my soul that will just make money. So that's what I use uh, join the party for is creative fulfillment. And it's, it's wonderful. I also, I forgot that also is one of the major parts is I love to see the creative output of all three of you. Like I love to get surprised by choices y'all make or, or plot devices you use, Eric. It's, it's always like super satisfying. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And listen, I also I also do use this and it's very funny. I use this as like my creative practice. Like pushing myself to be better at things is really like D is DMing. I, I think that I've really started identifying like strengths and not like weaknesses. Yeah, like strengths and weaknesses of my favorite DMs and ways that I see my own weaknesses and things that I can push myself on and the things that I'm good at. Um, like I've really been trying to push myself on character voices. I've really been trying to push myself on game mechanics and, uh, I've really been trying to push myself on giving every single character intention so that it all threads together regardless of what you're doing. Um, which I think has been go going pretty well and I'll keep uh, escalating that in 2021. And now, uh, I got to get comfortable with trying to be on a video camera in case anyone wants me to go on their stream. <laughs> Your stream where you played Game Off Man or whatever it is was very good and you were very you were very natural on video, so Oh thank you. That was so that was fun. Shout out to Fortunate Horse, our good friends, who let me play Oh No Mothman with a bunch of people who I'd never met before. And that was super fun. You never met any of those people before? No, I never met any of those people before. He met them oh, like fifteen cool. minutes before the show. Yeah, Shit. our good friend, our good friend Taylor Moore, who runs Fortunate Horse, was like, "Hey, you want to do this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, dog, I'll do whatever you want." He's like, "All right, here are some people from around the internet. Go, go play a game for them." <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now a little tour around a spoily corner cul-de-sac. Here, I'm mixing my metaphors. <laughs> All right, everybody ready? Yeah, let's um, do it. Deadly Kitten, I really hope Milo's dad and Dr. Mayor Morrow aren't the big bads. I also hope this isn't a government conspiracy, question mark. I hope yeah, so, too. No. <laughs> yeah, same. Who, Who can, can say, say, but same. Amy Bayard, is the family part of the mushroom business, Juice? Who can, Who say? can say? Who can say? Who can say? Ruth exists. Are the characters suspicious of Morrow and how she talks about fighting the upcountry keepers? Will they ever act on those suspicions? Wait, Dr. Morrow doesn't talk say? about fighting the upcountry keepers. No, we talk about fighting Yeah, we talk about it. And I don't and think any of that was very serious. And no. Dr. Morrow's like, hey, we're not going to go punch Emily Slaughter in the face. We have so many other things to do. Yeah. And Val's like, I agree, as long as it's not in front of cameras. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a superhero rumble. <laughs> Haley Gunderson, I know it's not ending anytime soon, but what are your plans for campaign three? <laughs> I, I know what I would like to do. Oh, really? Oh, what, is it? what is it? What is it? Well, you and I have talked about like a sci-fi space campaign before, and I've told you what my character would be if we did that. You did say that, yeah. Oh, I was mine's thinking... Anakin Skywalker, so. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, everyone is Darth Maul. You're just going to have to deal with that. Um, <laughs> Chill. I think but is it Clone Wars Darth Maul, or is it um, the first one? It's the first one. Okay. I think it would be interesting if we did do space, which I don't, I think D&D is the hardest to bring to space. So maybe we do like a short one, but maybe if you, I want it to be very Firefly where you all work together on the ship. Cause mm -hmm. I feel like that's a thing where everyone needs to know each other first 
in terms of bringing the thing together. Like you, or you were all like a uh, Star Trek, like you all worked on the on the ship together. I would love to bring yeah. a touch of like systems maintenance, <laughs> like a, a touch <laughs> of the kind of you know uh, tracking like food weight and gold part of D anD D. Like I would find that very fulfilling myself. So keeping some kind of track of that would be really fun. That's why I like being a monk because I get to keep track of my key and stuff like that. <laughs> Average space bear is the space program in this universe. <laughs> no, it is an average space bear sponsored spaceship. <laughs> if there is like a lightweight space tabletop RPG, maybe we can go explore that. Um, like somewhere in between like beam saber and lasers and feelings. Like it needs to be a little weighty in between. So uh, I don't know. I'll look into it. Maybe we'll do it like in between. Maybe we'll we'll take a break and play space and then come back to comics. I don't know. We'll figure it out. The, uh, the company that we work for is Normal Ursa. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, in, in our spoily corner, there's actually a cute little like recessed niche in the wall, like, you know, oh. where you can put your shampoo in the shower type situation. Sure. Um, and this is the waiting room with question surgeon Michelle Spurgeon or Dr. Spurgeon to you. <laughs> <laughs> where is the line going to be drawn for Val on family versus the trio? Who can say? Who can say? I'm very excited to say at some point. That's you a choose great the question. family over the trio, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> Who can say? Since Tegan wrote that article about Aggie's fam, are they a threat to her anonymity? Who can say? Who can say? Who can say? Um, damn it, Tannis, are we going to start seeing new regulations regarding powered folk? Mm, who mm. can say? Is Fritz Brightstone open about his powers? Why was he on the dais? Who can, Who can say? say? Who can say? And finally, just how far reaching is the People's River? Those YouTubers have very intense tech. Mm, who can, <laughs> who say? can say? Say Dr. Spurgeon. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. Spurgeon. Thank you, everybody who submitted questions. We've been getting so many great questions, and I am delighted that we could give you a, a nice, long, chunky AP today as you're, uh, you know, easing into the new year. Absolutely. I'm very, very excited about everything. I'm literally at the end of this, I'm going to just talk to all of you about what we're going to do next. And I'm very interested. The way that comic books are laid out, like these arcs are not necessarily going to be the same as the arcs in campaign one. They can be much shorter. There are opportunities for us not to explore the main area. We're moving in different directions. Like think about this more as a comic book a run of a comic book and then dividing it into a soft cover anthologies as how I've been thinking about the arcs. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my pages of notes and episode 20 and episode 21 are on the same page. And let me just say episode 21, it's a banger. Buck wild <laughs> episode. One of my favorites, I think. By the next after party, we might have to have an even longer after party because so much goes down. Eric, I think they're two of the best episodes you have DM to date. And I cannot wait to hear them again thank you i'm really really excited about them yeah we're it's gonna be like i don't even know if we're solicit questions i think we just need to talk it out yeah these next yeah. two episodes are chock-a-block with stuff well we hope you enjoy episode 21 uh, a week from today and episode 22 three weeks from today we cannot wait to bring them to you uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is the end of the after party. We have an episode coming out next week. Uh, thank you to everyone who listened to Unsleeping Party as well. Uh, tell Brennan Lee Mulligan I should hang out with him more. That would just be pretty cool and neat for me. Uh, <laughs> I would we'll... also like to hang out with Brennan Lee Mulligan. We'll all <laughs> hang out with Brennan Lee Mulligan. Uh, and li listen next week. See you later, guys. Bye, guys. Later. May your rolls trend ever upward. Oh, I got a one. <laughs>